Chapter 7 The Fight for Survival Things Literally Got Insane The pilot premiered strong, with 11.2 million viewers, but ratings dropped nearly in half to 6 million just five days later when Diversity Day aired. By the end of the season, they were down to 4.8 million. Ominously, each episode did worse than the previous one. A second season seemed like an extreme long shot. Jeff Zucker It wasn't even close to being successful that first season. Jason Kessler We didn't think it was going to get another season. In fact, the entire production staff went to work on another pilot called Early Bird with office co-executive producer Kent Zbornak. I took a job as the writer's assistant on the Borat movie. We all thought the office was over. Larry Wilmore The person that saved us was Kevin Riley, who was running NBC at the time. He was in the show's corner. Terry Weinberg If not for Kevin Riley, we would not have seen the light of day. And I still say it to Kevin over and over and over again because he never wavered. He never stopped loving the show. He never stopped fighting for it. Kevin Riley. NBC used to have the screening process where you had all these executives, from the head of the company to head of business affairs, the head of affiliates, the head of research, the head of cable, the head of syndication. Everybody weighed in with their opinions. And most of the room voted thumbs down for the office, like a resounding thumbs down. But at the end of that couple of days, we had one room that screened it that was full of the assistants and the interns and the new young executives that we call associates. It was a room of about 40 young kids, and they said to me, The Office is the only show you're making that we'd actually watch. They loved it. And I said, There it is. To me, right then, in that moment, I said, I'm falling on my sword for this, because these are the people that are getting really bored with sitcoms, and that's who I want to watch this. But then I had to go through really an excruciating process of dealing with some very heavyweight executives who were really quite sure that this was a terrible, terrible decision. I don't want to name names. Ben Silverman. Jeff Zucker wasn't into it. Terry Weinberg. We broke the fourth wall, so it felt more like a reality show than it did any other kind of traditional comedy. So I think that maybe Jeff didn't quite have the understanding of it, or it just wasn't quite his taste. Jeff Zucker. You have to remember, I had the overall responsibility for the network, so none of these decisions were made in a vacuum. And so obviously it wouldn't have gotten on and wouldn't have continued if I didn't support it, right? So at the end of the day, obviously I clearly supported it and had wanted it to come back. But listen, these weren't slam dunks and it certainly wasn't a no-brainer. Alan Seppenwall Jeff Zucker was not an entertainment guy. He was a news guy. He was brought in because he had made the Today Show absurdly profitable, and he never really seemed interested in or knew what to do about the entertainment side of things. He was really just not interested in running the entertainment division of a major broadcast network. Zucker may have been head of NBC, but he was still outranked by the corporate brass at GE. Jeff Immelt I always say that things are only funny because they're true. I started my career in sales offices, so I had seen these people before. 
and I knew that this show would resonate vis-a-vis people who have worked in offices and who have jerks for a boss. And my daughter was in her 20s, and it was one of the only shows she would watch on NBC. I also just found it to be really, really, really funny. I would watch 30 minutes of Friends and not laugh once, but I would watch 30 minutes of The Office and be, like, completely engaged. So I liked it from the start, and I was extremely supportive of adding it. I was kind of urging Jeff Zucker, saying, look, we should add it because, look, we suck so badly, what harm can it do? But he was very unsure about it. He thought it was too quirky and just too narrow for a broadcast network to put on. Jeff Zucker Kevin Riley was a very big proponent of it, as were others, but at the end of the day, I made the decision to go forward with it. Jeff Immelt I love Jeff, and we had a great working relationship. But once or twice I would say, hey, look, let's just do it my way. I was smart enough to know what I didn't know, and to a certain extent, those jobs are so public and they are under scrutiny every day that I didn't feel comfortable doing too much. But in the case of both The Office and 30 Rock, which he was also skeptical about, I definitely put my thumb on the scale. Ben Silverman I was on a plane with my best friend at the time, David Benioff, who created Game of Thrones. We were going from the premiere of Troy and Khan to Tokyo, picking up Brad Pitt along the way in Amsterdam. I can describe Brad's sleep to you. It was like an animal growling and moving. It was like something I had never witnessed before. Anyway, Eric Bana was there too. We were in the lap of luxury. We land in Siberia to refuel, where we're met by these Russian soldiers. I look down at my phone and see that I have, like, nine missed calls. They picked up the office for a second season. The Japanese premiere of Troy took place on May 17, 2004, ten months before the office pilot aired. It seemed like he's confusing at least part of this story with the initial series order. Kevin Riley. We ordered a big whopping six episodes. Ben Silverman. It wasn't the 13 originally budgeted, and they would only do it for like 50% of what it's going to cost. I had to get everyone to reduce their fees and figure out a way to make the budget work. Literally, I'm doing this from a Siberian tarmac, speaking to Ricky and Steven, who agreed to defer and reduce their fees on the first six episodes, doing it with Greg Daniels and his manager, Howard Klein, who was also a producer on the show. Then I have to call the line producer, Kent Zbornak, and explain to him how we can shoot practical. We don't need to build sets. Then we can use Randall Einhorn as a cameraman and to direct, so we don't need to budget as many cameras. I basically was teaching them how to do a reality-style production and cut the budget down by 50%. By the time I landed in Tokyo, I was doing all the follow-up and negotiating. Ricky Gervais. We had to defer some wages to give it a chance, which everyone did. On May 16, 2005, NBC announced that The Office would come back for a second season, airing at 9.30 p.m. on Monday nights between My Name is Earl and Law & Order SVU. Kevin Riley even filmed an Office parody video he presented at the Radio City Music Hall upfronts poking fun at NBC's difficult year. The response in the entertainment press was not kind. Surprisingly, these guys, both Jeff Zucker and Mr. Riley, Love their office, wrote Virginia Heffernan of the New York Times. They keep acting like it's a daring art project instead of a dark, low-rated reminder of how much it is not the real office. 
They want us to give it a chance, and they even want to be able to joke self-deprecatingly about how they themselves are like the office dud, just fatuous small-time branch managers. That joke is a luxury. It's for winners. I think it's spooking people here. What nobody in the audience at the upfront realized was that a new movie called The 40-Year-Old Virgin was three months away from hitting theaters and turning Steve Carell into a huge movie star. The Judd Apatow-directed film would gross $110 million on a $26 million budget and usher in a whole new era of R-rated comedies on the big screen. The timing couldn't have been better to help The Office. Ben Silverman. It was incredible. I called the head of marketing at Universal and said, would you please tag your 40-year-old virgin spots with The Office? I'll go ask NBC to put the money in. It was one of the first times ever a movie studio and sister network did ads with this star and brought up the show and the movie. There were 40-year-old virgin and office radio spots airing during the summer. Kate Flannery. I remember going to the premiere. We were working on an episode that day, and I had a really intense moment after that movie in the parking lot. I thought, oh my God, this show could actually go. He has a power and a charisma that could be enough to make this job go. And I was right. Steve becoming a star was profound for The Office. Jason Kessler. That movie was a turning point and this gigantic success that I don't think anybody could have predicted. At the time, R-rated comedies weren't killing it at the box office. But 40-Year-Old Virgin was such a massive success that I think no matter what the show was, if Steve Carell was on a TV show, people were going to watch it. It still wasn't enough to convince everyone at the network to pick up The Office for a full second season. Kevin Riley. Things literally got insane. It got to the point in the second season where I'd order more episodes, put it on the schedule, and then I'd meet with finance and I wouldn't see it in the budget. I'd say, where's The Office? And they'd stare at me and say, you gotta take it out. And I'd say, no, I just left the meeting where it's in. When did this happen? They'd say, well, an hour ago. You need to go back and talk to Jeff. Zucker. This happened about five times. I kept being told it was in, but the money people would be told it was out. So it was really bonkers. Really, really bonkers. Season two began on September 20th, 2005, right after the debut episode of My Name is Earl. Kevin Riley. The crazy thing is that The Office would never have made it if not for My Name is Earl, which premiered at a six rating. Even at that point, that was inconceivable for comedies. It was the biggest comedy premiere the network had had in years, and The Office was behind it. So all of a sudden, it had a little bit of protection, and it was getting sampled by the audience. The cast did everything they could to build an audience. Matt Son. A bunch of the cast members were on MySpace, and they began communicating with fans while they were at their desks on the set in the background. That kind of helped kind of build some momentum for the show and build that fan base, because people could actually touch base with them. And a lot of the actors had so much time to spend online doing that in the background of shots that they were doing it a real lot. Jenny Tan, OfficeTally.com, Webmaster. One of my favorite early episodes was The Fire. Written by BJ. 
I wrote him on MySpace about a specific line in the show, which I thought was hilarious, where Michael, unironically, quoted Andre Agassi and said, Image is everything. He wrote me back and said, Thank you so much. I didn't know if it would work. It happened as kind of an off-the-cuff add-in at the last minute, but I'm glad you appreciate it. I started writing to BJ, Jenna, Angela, and Kate Flannery on MySpace, and they'd write me back. That's how I got the idea to start Office Tally. Kim Ferry, hairstylist. In addition to MySpace, they tried to book themselves on talk shows. They would call their agents and say, we really want to try to get on David Letterman. We want to talk to Jay Leno. We want to get the word out. How can we do that? My experience with actors normally is they don't ask for that, but they were very proactive for sure. I think it saved our show. One month after The Office began its second season, the iTunes store began selling TV shows. It marked a sea change in the way consumers viewed television shows. Jeff Zucker. It took us some time to make a deal with iTunes, and that's a story for another day. Jeff Immelt. Steve Jobs called me because Jeff Zucker, appropriately so, was being a hard-ass on using content on iTunes. The only things he wanted was 30 Rock and The Office. Jobs was like, this guy Zucker is being such an asshole. You got to help me out here because we need The Office in order to have compelling content. They didn't want to see Law and Order. They wanted to see The Office and 30 Rock. Ben Silverman. It was one of the first deals between Apple and a TV show. We felt that it was brand aligned for the show. We got a lot of free marketing from them. The next wave of it was they had us in the storefronts. It was us and Bono. The Office and U2 are the two elements of the iTunes store, music, and content that drove the iTunes sale. They were smart to bet on series and on movies because there was more permanence and repeatability. Kevin Riley. We did some novel deals with iTunes, allowing them to feature episodes, and we gave them some previews. Those deals had never been done before. At the time, when you went to an Apple store, they had the iTunes posters on the wall, and there was the office, prominently featured in the iTunes ads. And all of a sudden, kind of the newness of iTunes and people sampling on iTunes and the extra publicity helped the ratings go up. Mary Wall, assistant to Greg Daniels. People would be able to watch it on iTunes, and then they caught up and started watching it on TV. It gave us a huge uptick in the ratings. Terry Weinberg. As a result of being exposed to this new digital world, people knew we were out there. We had so many episodes in the top 10 that all of a sudden our numbers went up on the network. That was really a turning point for us. It gave this really juicy, hidden demographic of young people that didn't fit into the 18 to 35 or 49. They were 15 and 16 and 17. And so those were the kids that were picking it up on iTunes, and we became known to younger people. And then suddenly, we became critical darlings, too. Larry Wilmore. There was a blog at the time called Television Without Pity. That was Twitter from back then. The Office got a whole section on it, and people were pouring out love and opinions for The Office. And the fan base really started growing during the season. Ken Whittingham. College kids jumped on it and started downloading and it really became popular amongst that demo. That gave NBC the courage to bring it back for a whole season. 
Kevin Riley. I remember around Thanksgiving, I woke up one morning and I saw that the office rating had grown for the first time. And I hate to admit it, but I think I kind of welled up with tears. But I thought of it as my Christmas present because from that point forward, the office started to incrementally grow from there until Christmas. It allowed us to order a full 22-episode season, and I realized then that the whole fight was worth it. Terry Weinberg. We just had built such a strong family during this time that we just said, we're going to get up every day, and we're going to have fun, and we're going to be funny, and we're going to make people laugh, and we're just going to keep doing our jobs. And if we do them well, hopefully we'll be able to maintain longevity. That might be my personal optimistic view. But I feel like every day we all stepped on the set that we just said, let's have fun and let's be creative and have fun. And we just kept doing it. <laughs>